Um, so I'm going to read the first part, and then we will all read the second part together, um, the Lord's Prayer. So here we go. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How are you? It's good. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Aaron. If you're new, I'm one of the pastors. Glad to have you with us here today. And uh, before we do anything else, I just want to pray. We've prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And in that heart and in that spirit, I just want to go before God now in prayer. Uh, as I then share with you some things that I believe he's put on my heart. God, I ask you today that you would help us uh, to know that what we're doing here today not just going through the motions, not just going through some empty religious exercises or some obligatory duties, but God, that we are here today to meet with the God of the heavens and the earth, the God of the universe. It is just incredible to think that the God who filled the oceans with water and with life and the God who hung the stars in the skies would incline his ear to listen to us. And so, God, I pray that we would be uh, stirred and, and moved in our hearts again to think that we can come before you like this. So, God, I ask and I pray that you'd guard my lips and help me to uh, only teach that which is truthful and, and is helpful to building us up in love and in relationship with Jesus, in whose name we pray. And everyone said, amen. I'll confess, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, uh, anybody here with me on that? Like New Year's resolutions, they don't really seem to work all that well. You know, I'm gonna, you know, whatever. I bench press 400 pounds this year. Like whatever, like it just doesn't work that way. But it is a good opportunity at the beginning of the year to kind of push pause and to reflect and think, now what, what am I doing with my life? Or, or what, are we, what are we doing corporately as a church? And so towards the end of last year, knowing that we're coming up and celebrating our, our fourth birthday, one of the things that we did as the elder team is we took a day away and we prayed and we retreated and we just kind of got away, got out of the office. Uh, the guys who are volunteer pastors took a day off of work. We all just kind of went away for a day. And one of the things that we did is we pulled up the list, uh, the list of values that we said almost four years ago. We said, these are the values that we want to be the shaping values, the things that are important to us as a church community. And so we read through the list. And some of you maybe know this, some of you who are new, maybe you've never heard this before unless you're poking around through the website or looking through you know, some of the various materials we put out. But here's what we said. We want, we want sound doctrine to be really important to Sound City Bible Church. We want to stand on the, the word of God and we want to know what is true and what is not true. And so we really want to be people who think we said we want prayer to be a value. We want to be people of prayer. We said that we want to enjoy God, meaning that 
that God is not uh, some slave master who we obey and follow just out of sheer obligation, but that God is a father who wants relationship with his children and, and it's a relationship of joy and that our greatest joy is actually found in relationship with God and that, that he enjoys us. Did you know that? Like God, God enjoys us. It's the prophet Zechariah says he dances over us and exults over us with loud singing. Like, like God is a, a, a joyful God and we want that joy to mark our church community. And then we said, hey, when it comes to people, we want to really value and prioritize relationship. We don't want to just come in here and kind of fill up seats and then kind of go our separate ways. We really want to know one another and and have our lives be shared together. We said we want to value progress, not perfection. Uh, How many perfect people we got in the room today? No, none. How many of you know that we're all on a journey of progress, that God is changing us and sanctifying us and shaping us? How many of you can say, thank God I'm not who I was last week or last year, right? So we value that progress, not perfectionism. And we also said we want our members to know that every one of you is to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Ministry is not something that paid professional Christians do. Ministry is something that every disciple, every follower of Jesus does. Amen? And, and what's more, every member is not just equipped for ministry. Every member is actually a missionary. That every single person who follows the Lord Christ has been given the great privilege and the great responsibility to go share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. A missionary is not just someone who, you know, travels to far off exotic and distant lands like Uganda or Mexico or, you know, British Columbia or wherever, right? Like a missionary is someone who goes to work or is in your neighborhood or your school and you sit next to somebody who's not a believer in Jesus, We said we want our church to be kingdom-minded, which means we're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. Sound City Bible Church does not exist for Sound City Bible Church. Sound City Bible Church exists to bring glory to Jesus. And as such, we are on the same team with any other church who preaches the Bible and honors and worships Jesus. There is one capital C church and it's not Sound City Bible Church. It's the church, the bride of Christ. Amen. And we said we want to have this regular rhythm of gathering and scattering. So we come together for worship and then we scatter for relationship. We scatter for mission. We want these to be values and to be priorities for the church. And what was particularly encouraging to me was as we read through this list, man, like we wrote this list at a time when it was a wish list. This was, we wrote this list, the elder team did, when the church was maybe about two months old. So it wasn't a list of saying, look at what we already do. It was a list of saying, look what we hope and pray that God will make us to be by his grace. And I was so encouraged that four years ago, what was a wish list is really in large part a reality. As I talk through those values and I read through that list of values, I can point to evidences in our church community where this really is true. This really is what is not just wishful values, but really lived out values. But as we read through that list, this is again back in maybe September, the Holy Spirit really stirred in my heart because I was saying, where do we need to grow? Where do we need to, to expand? Where do we need to really press in? And God really highlighted that value, that number two value of prayer. You know, some churches, churches sometimes have this fight. They have a fight between, well, are we a Bible church or are we a Holy Spirit church? 
Are we people of the word or are we people of prayer? And honestly, churches sometimes divide. There are churches that are just, you know, more Bible churches, Bible, 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 word of God, word of God. And there are other churches, it's spirit of God, prayer, experience, you know, miracles, pursuing God. Um, Do you know what I say to that supposed contradiction? I'm convinced you can't be a Bible church if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and bring the words that he inspired to be written in the first place to life in our hearts and in our minds. There should be no conflict between Bible church and prayer church, between people of the word and people of the spirit. Are you with me? There should be no conflict. And we said from the beginning, we want to be a both and type of church. But I would also say, we named our church Sound City Bible Church. There are churches called things like, you know, House of Prayer or, you know, the prayer church. I, I know them. And I think practically lived out in that tension between word and, and prayer, between Bible and spirit, I think that we could grow in this area of really pressing in on prayer and really pressing in on seeking the spirit of God to do what only he can do in the life of our church. So as we were praying and talking as an elder team, just a very simple statement, not some big, crazy New Year's resolution, but to really press in in 2019 and to say, God wants Sound City Bible Church to be a people of prayer. God wants Sound City Bible Church to be a people of prayer. And I'll put it to you this way. I am not interested in having Sound City Bible Church be the type of church that could be explained by mere human intellect and effort. I want Sound City Bible Church to only be able to be explained by saying there is a supernatural God at work in the lives of the people of this church. Is anybody with me on that? So I want to talk to you three things. Number one, the importance of prayer. Number two, if prayer is so important, why don't we pray? And number three, how does this work out? How can we actually grow and be people of prayer? So the importance of prayer. Uh, Can we just start? Prayer is important, right? Uh, Do I get an amen from anybody on that? Like prayer is important, right? Prayer is kind of important. And it's important for a few things. By the way, I'll just say this. There are so many Bible verses that I wanted to, I literally had a list of like a hundred different verses to talk about prayer. I won't be able to get to everything. Otherwise we'd still be here until next Sunday. But I have some things that I feel like are, are particularly pressing and particularly important for us to understand. So specifically on the importance of prayer, the first reason why it's important is no prayer, no salvation. You cannot be saved without praying. Book of Romans, Apostle Paul says, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's an old Puritan preacher, he's long since passed away, a guy named J.C. Ryle, one of my favorites. He wrote a book actually called uh, A Call to Prayer. If you want like an hour of just deep soul-cutting conviction, read this book. Uh, As a matter of fact, I put a free downloadable PDF up on the website of this book, as well as this one by R.A. Torrey. I did not put one up on this. This It's a newer book by a pastor named John Anwichekwa. All of these were really helpful for me as I was thinking through and kind of praying through what I wanted to share with you. But J.C. Ryle says this about salvation and prayer. He says this, that a man will receive pardon of his sins 
who will not so much as lift up his heart inwardly and say, Lord Jesus, give it to me. This I cannot find. We translate that. You got to be able to pray, God, I need your grace in order to receive salvation. No, a man is not saved by his prayers, but I cannot find that without prayer, anyone will be saved. It is not absolutely needful to salvation that a man should read the Bible. By the way, J.C. Ryle did nothing but just read and preach and teach the Bible. He's not devaluing the Bible, but he says a man may have no learning or be blind and yet have Christ in his heart. It is not absolutely needful that a man should hear public preaching of the gospel. He may live where the gospel is not preached or he may be bedridden or deaf, but the same thing cannot be said about prayer. It is absolutely needful to salvation that a man should pray. I remember my, my dad, growing up with, you know, hearing my dad's testimony, his story, he, he lived a very rebellious life, far from God, until, you know, somewhere in his mid-20s, and God just got a hold of his heart. And my dad, my dad will share his testimony. He says his, his great sinner's prayer that he prayed, his very eloquent prayer of salvation was, God, I have royally messed up my life. If you want it, you can have it. <laughs> That was his very, you know, very pious, uh, deeply spiritual prayer. But it's true. If we're to receive salvation from God, we must at the very least cry out and say, God, I need mercy. Prayer is important because it's where we find daily mercy, not just saving mercy, but daily mercy. How many of you need daily mercy? How many of you, it's after the holidays, need daily mercy? Hebrews 4 says, let us boldly approach that throne of grace so we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, which is every day. I need the every hour, the old hymn says. That we, we walk through this life and we ourselves stumble and sin and we ourselves are, are harmed and hurt by the sinful behaviors and choices of others. And so we go to God in daily mercy. Yes, in the scriptures, but in prayer. That's how we, we do it. We boldly approach his throne of grace. We draw near to God. Number three, prayer needs, prayer leads, I should say, to holiness. Again, how many of you are thankful that you're not the same person you once were? How many of you are thankful that your spouse is not the same person they once were? And prayer is the tool that God has given to us. Yes, we learn from the scripture, but then we go to God in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the apostle Paul prays. He says, I pray that the God of peace himself would sanctify you completely. He's praying for this Thessalonian church, but he's by extension praying for us as well to be sanctified and, and, and changed by God. That when we pray, we can go to God and say, God, I just stumbled in sin. I'm coming to you for mercy. But then the next time that situation comes up, God, I'm asking you to help me not give in to that temptation or not to say yes to that fleshly desire, that sinful human desire. Prayer is where we find transformation. And then lastly, prayer is important because prayer changes things. The book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer changes things. Do you believe this, Sound City? Now, note that I didn't say prayer changes God. God is unchanging. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, we, we as a church, we're big on talking about God's sovereignty. God is big. God is powerful. God is sovereign. God's in control. He's God. I'm not. Can I get an amen from anybody on that this year? 
He's big, right? Like, I don't, I don't sit around like, well, God, if you just would do this or that, like, let me give you some instructions on how to run the universe to which God replies, well, just read the end of the book of Job and you'll know what God replies to that, right? We talk about a big God here at Sound City Bible Church because he is a big God. But sometimes things happen where people hear this talk about a big God and divine sovereignty and he's in charge of everything. And then they misunderstand it and they say, well, then why should I even pray? If God is sovereign, if God's in charge of all things, why should I pray? Why should I evangelize? Why should I do these different things? Because God has sovereignly decided to use our prayers to change things and to affect his will in the world. This pastor, John Onwuchekwa, who I mentioned his book, he says this, prayer is the link in the chain that connects God's sovereignty to our responsibility. Again, just dozens of verses. I was going through the book of Acts and it was talking about like, like conversion. There's a woman named Lydia who gets saved, who gets converted. And before her conversion, it says all these apostles and people were praying. And it says in, in the book of Acts chapter uh, uh, 11, or sorry, chapter 16, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Can you, can you open someone's heart? Can you do that? Can you do that work? No. But God has said, I'm going to open their heart. And I'm going to do so through your prayers. Or in the book of, of Acts, uh, it talks about, in the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 2, it talks about this, this great revival that broke out where 3,000 people were saved in one day. I know the word revival sometimes has baggage with it. We think of maybe excesses or manipulation, but I mean like real revival where like God just shows up and tons and tons of people have their hearts transformed and they come running to him and they come flocking to him. Does anybody desire revival to see that in, in the Seattle area, in the Puget Sound area? Lord knows I do. But it says in the, in the book of Acts chapter one, that before that happened, the apostles and all of the women were all gathered together and they were praying continually. In fact, you cannot find in history a genuine revival that breaks out where the people of God were not first praying. Prayer changes things, friends. Prayer changes things. We find salvation, we find mercy, we find transformation, and we find change in the world. So that leaves us with a question. Is prayer important? Is prayer important? Is prayer important? Why then don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? I've been thinking about this a lot knowing that I wanted to teach on this here about a month ago, just been thinking about this and praying about this and looking through the scriptures. Like, like why don't we pray? God's, God's made it so easy. He's made it so possible for us. J.C. Ryle, again, the, the Puritan preacher, he says, there is everything on God's part to make prayer easy if men will only attempt it. Women too, right? All things are ready on his side. Every objection is anticipated. Every difficulty is provided for. The crooked places are made straight and the rough places are made smooth. There is no excuse left for the prayerless man. As I was asking God, why don't I pray? And maybe why we as a church community don't pray as much as we should. Can I, I by the way, I shouldn't just assume. Anybody here? Agree with me? Yeah, I, I probably could pray more. Anybody? Yeah, all right. 
three answers kind of sprang to the surface for me. And the first one is simply this. We forget what a privilege it is that we get to pray. You know, the the bad news, before we get to the good news of the gospel, the bad news is that because of our sin, we are alienated from God, separated from God. In the, in the Hebrew scriptures, you can read about the, the tabernacle and then the temple that was built. There's this place called the Holy of Holies, and that's where God dwelt. And there was a thick curtain that separated the holy presence of God and the people. And one time a year, the high priest got to go into that room. Only once a year, only the high priest, and only after he had done a lot of sacrifices and work to cleanse his own sin and atone for his own sin. The Bible says that God dwells in unapproachable light. He's holy. He's righteous. In him, there is no darkness. There is no sin, and he cannot abide with sin. Friends, you and I, on our own, are separated from God because of our fallenness. But God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect, sinless life. And then to be offered as the perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross, dying in our place, a death that you and I deserved. And then Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was acceptable to God, proving that he has power over sin and death, proving that everything he said was true. And then the part that we sometimes leave off is he ascended to the right hand of the Father, And the book of Hebrews tells us that he opened up the curtain for us so that now, if we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we can go directly into the presence of God. This is incredible. This is an incredible offer that God says, I've made a way for you to come be directly with me. I think that I don't think about the privilege that is enough. We were having dinner with some friends last night. Um, our family went over to, uh, you guys know Rabbi Matt, his family invited us over for dinner and to watch, uh, to watch um, a game. I already blocked it out of my memory. I don't remember what it was, but uh, we we're hanging out together. We we're kind of talking through some of this and he was telling me a story about how he met a guy that owns a, a McLaren sports car. Any car fans here? Uh, If you're not a car fan, the McLaren, I'm not a car fan, but I do know this. They cost more probably than my house, even with Seattle prices, right? And uh, he'd met this guy and they were hanging out. He said, hey man, anytime you want to ride, just, you know, call me up or whatever. And uh, his youngest, his boy had turned eight years old uh, last month. And his boy said, oh, you know what I want for my birthday? I want a ride in the McLaren. And so Rabbi Matt said, done. He texted him up, called him up, said, hey, would you be willing to like, give my son a ride in the, you know, whatever, $300,000 sports car for his eighth birthday. He's like, absolutely, let's do it. He's like, just keep it under 100, please. Like, that was, that was the present. He just did it. Like, if you've got the phone number of a guy with a McLaren who says, call me anytime, let's do this, you, you pick up the phone and you call, right? I, f- I forget the privilege it is that God, the God of the universe says, call me, talk to me. Rabbi Matt was talking with him last night. He goes, you know, God owns the McLarens on a thousand hills, right? Like we've got access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who, who not only owns all things in the universe, but has given us access by the blood of his very precious son. It is a privilege that we get to pray, is it not? And I think sometimes we forget. 
We also don't pray because we don't persist in prayer. Like, what I mean is we pray a little bit, but then we don't keep praying. We pray once, but we don't keep praying. Sometimes we don't pray because there's sin. We don't persist because there's sin. So we throw out kind of a token prayer, but we don't really deal with the sin that's in our lives. You know, there's, there's all sorts of verses that talk about kind of persistent sin blocking out our prayers. There's, there's verses in Isaiah where it says, your iniquities are separating you from God and he does not listen. Uh, the book of James says you pray and you ask with all these wrong motives. God's not going to answer those prayers with those wrong motives. There's a particularly uh, uh, tough verse for you men, for you husbands, you married men, in 1 Peter 3, where it says that husbands that don't elevate their wives, treat them with gentleness and respect, but then elevate them as co-heirs in Christ. You, God won't listen to your prayers. So any of you men who are uh, chauvinistic or, or harsh or rough with your wives, God is not listening to your prayers, the book of 1 Peter says. And the book of Proverbs says that if you shut your ear to the poor, your cries for help will also not be heard. So sometimes there's just persistent sin in our lives that we need to root out, we need to be ruthless with, with and go to God so that we can know that our prayers are answered. We don't persist in prayer because there's sin. Sometimes we don't persist in prayer just because there's distraction. There's distraction, right? Uh, ding, buzz, you know, call, ring, whatever's going on. Sometimes it's just up in here in our minds. We're just distracted. But I also think one of the reasons we don't persist in prayer is just simply because we give up too easy. We give up too easy. We just give up. There's, okay, it, it's <laughs> one of the weirdest teachings of Jesus in my book is the parable of the persistent widow. You guys know that one? Jesus tells this parable. He says, once upon a time, there was a judge and he was a really bad guy. He didn't fear God. He didn't respect people. And there's this little old widow lady and she needed justice. She needed someone to stand up for her and advocate for her. So she just kept hounding the judge day after day after day. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. Take care of me. Give me justice. And finally, this wicked evil judge goes, fine, lady, in Hebrew. And he says, here's your justice. And then she was like, cool, thanks. And then Jesus goes, you know, kind of like that with God, except for he's a good judge. Like, what? Like, <laughs> that's the story? But what Jesus is saying is, we need to be persistent. We need to be persistent in prayer. Somehow, I think we've gotten this idea because we don't want to be presumptuous. We don't want to be uh, arrogant or, 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 or overly bold with God that we can't just be persistent. Like, well, I asked one time, I prayed for it and then moved on. And God says, no, I want you to ask a thousand times, not because you need to wear me down, but because I'm trying to wear you and your pride down. R.A. Tory says it this way. He says, God does not always let us get things at our first effort. He would train us and make us strong men and women, these were written a while ago, guys, come on, by compelling us to work hard for the best things, so also he does not always give us what we ask in answer to the first prayer. He would train us and make us strong men of prayer by compelling us to pray hard for the best things. He wants us, he makes us, I should say, pray through. We should be careful about what we ask from God. But when we do begin to pray for a thing, we should never give up praying until we get it or until God makes it very clear and very definite to us that it is not his will to give it. It's not pious or Christian or humble to only pray one time. 
It's actually the truly humble thing, the truly Christian thing to do is to just keep on asking. I know people who have prayed for loved ones who didn't know Jesus, who didn't know his grace and mercy for 50 years before the Lord finally answered that prayer. Praise God for their persistence. Thank God that they didn't give up at 45 years. Thank God that they persisted to pray through it. Because think about what God did to shape that person while they prayed and prayed and prayed. And then lastly, I think maybe the biggest reason why we don't pray is we underestimate the power of prayer. We underestimate the power of prayer. And actually, as my wife mentioned to me, uh, between the two services, we overestimate the power of me. I was looking through the Gospels. Jesus himself, I found at least 25 references to Jesus praying. In a few weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 17, an entire chapter of Jesus praying. If the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the divine Logos incarnate, lived and died literally by prayer, why do I think I don't need to? I'll say it this way. My hope and my heart is that Sound City would be a praying church. But my number one concern for us, the reason why I think we wouldn't pray is we would be too reliant upon ourselves. You all are a smart bunch. You're very capable. There are, there are important people in this room. There are people with multiple degrees and like you read things and you study and like there's a lot of like look at just look how many people have like pens out and are taking notes right now for crying out loud. Like you're a smart bunch. You're a capable bunch. I like to think of myself as a smart person and a capable person. And can I just confess to you that when I encounter a problem in ministry or in my marriage or in my parenting or whatever, my first kind of gut level knee jerk reaction is to say, well, got to put a plan together and not say, well, I got to hit my knees and cry out for the power of God to show up in this situation. Is there anybody who's with me on that? Okay. Finger on the pulse of the church community. I think that we might not pray because we're too reliant upon ourselves, in particularly too reliant upon knowledge. The Bible is pro-knowledge, right? Like, to know things and to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But there are these verses that kind of stuck out to me, like, like in 1 Corinthians 8.1 where it says, there's a type of knowledge that puffs you up and doesn't actually build you up in love. Knowledge that puffs up. Or in, or in Proverbs, right? The classic verse, famous verse, Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely upon your own understanding. Lord, I confess that far too often I rely upon my own understanding. And I think that if I just put a plan together or work harder or make some phone calls, that will change everything. And what I fail to acknowledge is that God is sovereign and Jesus said that apart from him, we can do nothing. Wow. So what do we do? What do we do? 
think we need to take God up on his offer to come boldly, to come boldly, to come often, to come regular. This is not a practical how-to sermon on prayer, but I do want to mention a few things. When we pray, let's start with this. When we pray, let's pray to God. Now that sounds silly, right? Well, who would I be praying to, right? What I mean is this. Don't forget who you're praying to. Pray to God. Sometimes, especially like in group, like we get together in a group, a small group, it's like we're praying, but man, if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm praying so that the other people can hear me or understand what's going on. I hope not to show off, but at least so that they can understand. They say, God, you know, so-and-so is really sick and they had a fall last week and they did this. And they're like, God knows all that stuff. I'm praying so that the other people will know it. God already knows. Pray to God. But even more so what I mean is this. When you sit down to pray, what's the first line in the Lord's Prayer? We just said it together. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Take some time to acknowledge who it is you're praying to. God. Wow, God, you're listening to me right now. The one who's holy. What what I mean by praying to God, maybe before you jump in with the request, which is totally fine. God wants us to make our requests known, but maybe start with some things like, God, you are. God, you are holy. God, you are good. God, you are beautiful. God, you are righteous and holy. God, you are a consuming fire. God, you are. God, you are. That's a great way to start your prayers. Pray to God. Number two, pray for his will. Oof. When we, when we lead with requests, it's far too easy for me to just pray my will. God, my will is that I would also have a McLaren. Actually, not really. I don't want that. But I'm just saying like, my will would be for these things to happen and my will for this. But what does Jesus instruct us? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And honestly, sometimes we don't know what the specific will of God is in a situation. I'll use this example. Somebody is sick and ailing and we want to pray for healing and we can pray for healing and we believe that God heals, right? Amen? But there are times for for whatever reason, sometimes God doesn't heal. But what I do know is in any situation, whether he does heal or he doesn't heal, what I do know is he wants to show his glory and he wants to display his goodness and his mercy in the middle of that situation. So sometimes God's going to show off his glory and his goodness by healing that person. Sometimes God is going to show off his goodness and his glory by letting someone walk through a season of trial and difficulty and them doing it in a Christ-honoring way. But either way, God's going to give glory. And I can pray, God, would you show your glory in this situation? God, would you show how much you love this person? Because no matter what the circumstances are, we know that God is always good and he's always loving. Amen? So, so learn what it means to pray the will of God. There's a whole sermon there that we could do another time. And maybe I will, Lord willing, uh, later this year. Number three, be both bold and humble. Be both bold and humble. Okay, this one really gets me because uh, uh, how many of you know the types of prayers where you're like, wow, who are they talking to here? <laughs> like bossing God around, demanding, you get know what I'm talking about? Like just kind of the, um, what some people might call like the, the word of faith movement where it's just like you're declaring things and you're being bold. And it just sounds like, man, you really sound like you're bossing God around and giving him direction. But then on the other side, I think sometimes people, you know, swing the pendulum too far on the other side. And then they're like, 
well, Lord, like maybe please possibly if you could, I don't know, maybe like it's like the, it's like the, like the Oliver Twist prayer. Like, please, sir, can I have some more? Like, it's like, there's no boldness. And we are told to come with boldness. How many of you would say that you probably tend too much towards the boldness side of things in your prayers? Okay. How many of you would say, yeah, maybe I actually probably tend to the overly humble side of prayers. How many? Okay. So ask your family, your friends, your, 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 your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you to stretch in the opposite direction. Let's be both bold and humble. We've been given direct access to the King of Kings, but let's never forget that he's the King of Kings. Here's another one. Here's another tension. Specific times and constantly. Actually, sometimes people fight about this. Bible teachers, Christians, well, should you just be praying all day, every day, constantly throughout your day? Or should you like set aside dedicated specific times to pray? What's the answer, Sound City? Yeah, come on. There are, there are examples of great men and women of God. I think of Daniel in the Old Testament. Just every, they, they knew when to get him because they knew when he was going to go pray. It says that Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. It says like the night before he selected his disciples, he went away and prayed all night long, all night long. He prayed. But then there's all these other verses about pray without ceasing and never stop, you know, uh, praying with, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And like just in the middle of his day, Jesus would just break out into prayer at random times. Here's the cool thing. I would encourage you to be diligent and dedicated. Find some times, find a rhythm that works for you. Set aside some intentional, specific time to pray. And then when you go to work, be praying throughout your day. When you go to school, be praying throughout your day. The cool thing is when we pray without ceasing, you get to participate in the kingdom of God work while you're loading your dishwasher. Bigger things are happening while you're praying and you're, you know, raking the yard or whatever mundane thing you've got to do. God's there. God's with you. Stuff is happening. How cool is that? So let's pray specific times and let's pray constantly. And then lastly, be persistent. It is not humble to just ask one time. God says, I want you to come at me. (laughs) Come after me. Let's go. Because I'm going to, I'm going to shape you. and I'm going to change you. Now, I want to get real practical for just a minute before I close here. But before I do so, I need to give you a warning. And actually, specifically, I need to give the introverts in the room a warning. Because you didn't think that I was going to preach a sermon on prayer and then not set aside a few minutes here in the service for us to gather up in groups of two, three, four, and pray together. Did you? So if your inner introvert heard that and you just shriveled in fear a little bit right now, just like be bold and courageous. Meanwhile, the extroverts in the room, like their heart rate just went up. They're like, yes. Oh, I've been waiting for that. I want to give us some, some kind of practical things. Again, I said, I don't believe in these big, crazy New Year's resolutions. And this is something that is a part of Sound City and it's one of our values, but it's something I think we can grow in. And so here's some practical steps, I think, of how we can grow in this. First of all, for you as individuals, I want to encourage you, like I said, to set aside times for regular prayer. I want to encourage you to do this. I I call it pray on the spot. How many of you, uh, okay, stop me if you've heard this one. Uh, You're talking with somebody, you're at the grocery store, you're out in the lobby after service. Oh man, going through a really hard time, my job, I don't know if I'm going to lose my job, blah, blah, blah. And then you, you have this choice. You say something like, wow, I'll be praying for you. And then the real choice is, do you? <laughs> do you pray for them? Or what I would encourage you is, man, that's hard. Can I pray with you right now? 
Or for those of you who use social media, you know, someone's on Facebook, hey, could really use your prayers, or a kid just fell down, we're gonna go get stitches, da, 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 da. And you could say, comment like, wow, we'll be praying for you. Or you could, you could, pray. <laughs> Open the back. I just prayed for you. Cool, all right? Like, pray on the spot. Lastly, I would just encourage you, again, None of this is like law or anything. There's just maybe some helpful ideas for you to try. Try keeping a prayer journal. Because I'm convinced that God answers a lot more prayers than we give him thanks for. And sometimes you need that journal to go back and like, oh yeah, I did pray about that. I did pray about that. Oh, that's, oh I need to go back and do that. For families, families, I want to encourage you to teach your children how to pray. And, and for those of you parents with young children, I'll just empathize with you. Uh, it's going to be challenging because one minute they're going to do something really like they're going to pray for their socks or something, right? Like with little kids, they do weird things like that. Next minute they're praying. It's like, oh, that was the most precious thing I ever saw. And then they walk away and they like, you know, break a lamp or whatever. Like it's going to be, it's going to be frustrating, but keep at it. Again, I don't know where we picked this up. This is something we've done is when people send our family Christmas cards, we, we, we stack them all up. And whenever our family sits down for a family meal together, one of the kids, we kind of just rotate through, one of the kids grabs a Christmas card. And we pray for that family by name that night at the dinner table. So if you gave our family a Christmas card, know that at some point, we got a lot of cards this year. I might not get to you till July, but we're going to pray for all those families. That's just something we, we try to do together as a family. A simple tip. I don't, I didn't invent that. I picked it up somewhere. Uh, Married couples, pray with your spouse. I will say this. Praying together is an incredibly intimate act. And if you're somebody who's like seriously dating or engaged and you haven't prayed together, you can't pray together, I would push pause today. Pray together. For groups, for those of you who are small group leaders, you're in a community group or a DNA group, I would encourage you to carve out time to pray in the group. Actually, my brother Mike is sitting over there. Before he launched out and started the new group, he kind of challenged our group. We were together. He's like, man, I wish we would just spend more time praying together as a group. And per your encouragement, we have done that. And it has been amazing. And I'm sorry you've missed out on it since you went and launched your own group. But I hope and pray that your prayer times are amazing as well. But it's been like really, really life-giving, really transformational, rather than just starting the group or closing the group with kind of the obligatory prayer. Like, no, let's like take some time Enough talking. Let's, let's talk to God and pray to God. It's been really life-giving. Keep a prayer list, maybe. For the church, here's what's really cool. Like I said, prayer in worship. Uh, prayer in worship, meaning like we take time in our worship gatherings to pray. By the way, I mean, you've seen this. We have the call and response prayers. We do all this stuff. In a minute, we're going to pray together uh, as, as, a, as a church. There's a pastor from the East Coast. I was at a conference a few weeks ago, and he said, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. He says, in your worship services— you should devote so much time to prayer that nominal Christians are bored by having to talk to the God they pretend to love. Oh, I didn't say it. He said that, but I just, I thought that, you know, yeah, by the way, this time, why we are here is not to entertain anyone. It is to commune with God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. We're not here for you. We're here for God. You're welcome to look in on the freak show of a bunch of people who are talking to God, who believe that Christ rose from the dead, and you're welcome to look in. You're welcome to judge, but even better, you're welcome to dip your toe in the water and see if some of that amazing grace might not be for you as well. 
Another thing about our church that we're really excited is we have a team of, of leaders. We have uh, three of our deacons, Brittany Hackett, uh, Jim, and Shelly Laguchik, are going to launch a prayer team. And they've been meeting and they're ready to go. What that looks like is that we will have regular uh, places of prayer for after the services. We're going to kind of set up a little area where if you're here and the service is done and you want someone to pray with you, they're going to be available for you. They're going to be uh, doing something kind of akin to a prayer chain where if you have requests, it's a, an easy, a quick email or a quick text message in to know that some people will be praying for you and they'll pass it on to the elders because we pray together every single week at our elders meeting for the needs in the church. Uh, it means they're going to be hosting some regular prayer nights throughout the year, like at our offices on a Sunday evening or a Friday evening, so that we can really commit ourselves corporately to prayer. And lastly, I would even go so far as to say that, that one of the things that God is asking me to do is to rally together with other churches in our region to pray together. So I have an email thread going right now with a handful of churches. I'm hoping to get uh, 12 churches to pray together here uh, in this first quarter to come together to be reminded that we have one king. His name is Jesus. We have one Lord, one Savior, one faith, one baptism, and we are all united with a shared, if I could use the language, a shared scoreboard. So it's someone at the church down the street meets Jesus and gets baptized. We get to share in that joy. And when some other church launches a program that, that reaches out to hurting and broken people, we get to share in that joy because we're all together as one body united in Christ. Amen? So that's what we're shooting for this year. Now, let's do this. Let's do this, okay? We're gonna pray. In just a minute, I'm gonna invite Pastor Doug to come up and he will lead us uh, in a celebration of communion, the Lord's table. But before we do that, I wanna invite us to take a few minutes to gather up into groups of two, three, four. Uh, let me just say this. No one has to do it. If you're here and you're by yourself, you just want to sit quietly and pray, that's totally fine as well. But I'm going to invite the musicians to come. I'm also going to invite our younger students class to come in and join us for this time. And I want you, if you're here with your spouse, if you're here with some friends, let's do this. Let's take a few minutes and we're going to pray together. Let's put those prayer points up on the screen. I suggested two prayer points. If the Lord stirs in your heart to pray for something else, please feel free to add to it. But I would like you to pray for our church. Would you pray for Sound City Bible Church that we would be that both and church, people of deep commitment to the word of God and deep enjoyment of the spirit of God through prayer? And then I also want you to pray for our region. You know, we, we're kind of spread out throughout the North Seattle suburbs, really the, the North Puget Sound region. And I don't know about you, but North Puget Sound region seems ripe and ready for revival. It's, uh, it's dry out there, how we shall say. And I'm praying that God would use us and he would use his church. The mission field is too big for any one local church. So I'm praying that he would unify his people, that we might see his kingdom come and his will be done uh, here, in, here in the North Puget Sound, here in Snohomish County, as it is in heaven. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to dismiss us into groups to pray together. Can we do it? That was very tepid. Can we do it? Oh man, we got more introverts at the 11, I guess. Huh? Father God, I ask that now as we, we come and we bring our prayers before you, you would hear our prayers, not because of us, but because of Jesus, our perfect Savior, our righteous King, the one who the book of Hebrews tells us is living constantly to make intercession. He's praying for us right now. So Jesus, as you pray for us, may we come and pray to you. And would you shape us to be people of prayer? We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.